everybody. Welcome back to Can I Pull You for a Chat, podcast hosted by Glow and Eos. Hey, Glow. Hey, Eos. Nice to see you and talk to you again. It's been a minute. Yes. Yes. Like three days. Um, a whole three days. A whole three days. Um, everybody, we've got our friend Sarah on the podcast this episode. Sarah, can you say hi? Hi, friends. It's nice to be on this podcast with you all thanks for having me she also came with her own mic i gotta say she's uh, mad prepared <laughs> she's got a drop mic y'all like yeah she's real official looking <laughs> yeah she's the host and we look like the guests i for will sure. say <laughs> for sure um okay so today we have a, an icebreaker for y'all um t- which is what is something that you have done or sought out recently that reminds you of your friends or encountered recently that reminds you of your friends? I have one right off the bat, so I don't mind starting this. So today I went to Purple Patch <laughs> and I got um, the moose cake, the mango moose cake and the chocolate, the flourless chocolate cake. And for those of you who reside in DC, um, you know, I cannot give a bigger plug for Purple Patch and their flourless chocolate cake and their mango mousse cake. Um, and this reminds me of the two of you because we went and got it together. And that was my first time having Purple Patch was with you two. Oh, so sweet. I love that. I, oh, that's okay. I can just piggyback off that because I texted you guys actually when I went to this, um, I think... Uh, 1914 is Vietnamese. Mm-hmm. It was so good. And then I got there. Um, I think I got the green tea this time. Oh, the green milk tea. It was so good. It was so good. And mm-hmm. that place is magical. I finally went down the stairs to the bar. Mm, I don't know about that. The drinks, I should just serve them upstairs. It was uh, The bar was an experience. Uh, not because of the food or the service. It was just the crowd that was there specifically that night. I've never seen that much PD in my entire life. It made me very disturbed. Oh, that's okay. so <laughs> gross. I hate PD so much. Um, what I I recently walked by Kung Fu Tea, which is like the oh. crap the crappy bubble tea place. But it made me think of you both, and specifically the time when we like all melted in our seats and had bubble tea at that um that restaurant that Gloria was talking about just now and the crystal bubbles every time mm. i get crystal bubbles i think of you too because of the time that i indulged i remember taking home coffee right in addition i just like ate was so full and took home things to go like i think i would like this that um the coconut coffee one so like good the, essentially like i don't know root beer float but coconut coffee or coconut like ice cream and coffee oh my god it was so good with the little coke uh coffee little what were they i thought they were like lychee i think they were i I don't know i could be making that delicious 1914 by colvin i do have to report though that their chicken serving size has gone smaller i got one piece this time I know. What? Uh, no, that was that was the big draw. Was not only yeah. the quality of food, but the quantity. But it was quantity. Yeah. I was, was like, I couldn't finish my food. Drumstick. Yeah, they said <laughs> it says like quarter chicken. And I was like, what? What's what's what part of this is a quarter chicken? It's also one leg, one little drum thing. That's ridiculous. Uh-uh. It was still as crispy as you remember. Like it literally, mm. you could do this. And it crackled. <laughs> I love that most of our things were just all about food. <laughs> Yes, that is something that draws us all together. It draws all about food. So good. What a warming Um, thing. Okay, so we're going to go into our second segment now. Or no, we're going to take a pause. We're going to take a pause, y'all. This is my first time doing the intro because Gloria wants to chow down on a meatball sub. And so, uh, you know, I'm stuck here doing the meat intro. (laughs) It is not a meatball sub. It is an Italian... It's a... chicken feta sausage situation that i am having mm. so it not looks exactly like a meatball sub y'all okay. she's still ramming it, it down her throat mm. she is <laughs> indeed <laughs> all right, all right we're, we're gonna, gonna take, take a break, break. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hello and welcome back uh, for this uh, main meat of the conversation, main sausage of the conversation. Hi, <laughs> I am sorry. I don't know why. In front of you, I don't know why I'm like this, but this is what you got to deal with. But anyway, Sarah, wonderful friend Sarah, has brought us a great topic on like belonging and homes and all that good stuff but you know she can say it better so sarah why don't you tell us a bit about the topic what drew you to it and where do you want us to start uh the chat yeah i think i have always been i guess cognizant of what hometowns mean and what belonging means um and to me this is something that just comes to mind daily at my job um as I am consistently writing labels and what we call tombstone information in the museum world, which is like artists, life date, um, where they or like where they were born, when they were born and like where they died and when they died. In addition to like a lot of other information about the artwork, like title, medium, date, et cetera, et cetera, what have you. But as because I'm consistently researching artists and like it's necessary. It's, it's, it's a thing that's consistent across like all museum labels that we have, where were they were born, what city and country or what city and state they were born and what city and state they died. I'm, I'm really thinking about like, how do we define nationhood and belonging and I and an idea of citizenship in these life and death dates. Right. And so I guess I'm constantly thinking about like, how do I let my home or how do how do these artists hometowns define who they are and the work that they create and who they become? And, you know, and thinking about just statistics and data in general um, about like what you'll see on Ancestry.com when we all eventually pass on. Like that's something that's been on my mind about like the legacies that we hold, but also how much do our hometowns then define us? Because I often find myself judging artists also based on where they die to be like, oh, they were born here, but where did they choose to end up living their life? And like, how does, how did they choose to not let their hometowns define them in an odd way? Anyways, so that's why I like started to think about this topic because I was getting a little too judgy of artists, <laughs> historic, <laughs> historic artists about where they ended up dying, which I don't think anyone has that much control over. So that was a moment for me, but um. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the concept of hometowns and how much we let them define us, how much they define citizenship, nationality, how much they're some how much of those things are out of our own control. Um, and so I guess I wanted to start by us talking a little bit about our hometowns, then maybe talking about families concept of hometowns and then kind of map our way through citizenship and um, the mm -hmm. Atlas project and so many other things. I think this is such a cool topic, Sarah, um, when you spoke about it. Um, well, first off, I gave you a, a hard um, uh, directive about what the topic could be and that it was not allowed to include more than one hour of research um, or prep, I believe I said, because um, I know you and I know you would show up with like, you know, an entire thesis or two for us to go through. Um, and. I'm really excited by this topic because I know I feel like I have kind of two hometowns, one that I'm not very connected to, but I wish I was more connected to. And then the one that I like truly grew up in that I'm, I was connected to it due to like time spent there. Right. But I'm not connected to it now as an adult. Um, so I just think it's really, it's an interesting topic, especially for the three of us in the different ways in which we have all had hometowns. Um, I looked up, you brought up the Opportunity Atlas, and so I like looked it up and I was looking through it today, like what my hometown was like color-coded. Um, and the mine came up as like, you know, right smack in the middle of that. Uh, like, yes, for our people who might not know, could you say more what uh, the yes. Opportunity Atlas is? Um, I, I might say, be people. You might be people. <laughs> yeah. um, well, I dropped the link in our uh, iMessage chat, well. Um, I have it's it. I kind of get it. Opportunityatlas.org <laughs> for those of you listening. And uh, my understanding of it is that it maps the United States by all sorts of metrics, including like medium rent, like um, childbirths by teen moms, um, 
income, education, uh, marriage ages, divorce ages, all sorts of metrics, most of which are blank for my hometown because it's very small um, and very rural. But I, I, I thought it was really interesting to look at. Um, yeah, I'm going to stop right there before I like keep wandering on. Gloria. Uh, I, as people, completely understand that. <laughs> that was super helpful. Um, but I guess I will say a little bit about Matt. I think this is a very cool topic in that I don't think I... I think about spaces a lot, but I don't feel... I've lived in so many places at so many different varying ages that I don't... I technically, if I was an artist, you can find a hometown to put on like my tombstone information or whatever, but I don't feel, I don't know, I've never thought of myself as having a hometown. I've always thought of myself as like more like transient and like moving. Even when I was in a place for like six years or whatever, I would in my like heart of hearts, I always knew that I was going to be like moving on soon. And they were like, so I don't know. It seems like it's taught me to have like a different relationship with spaces and learning how to love them, even knowing that they will be going for a while. And like brings up the question of like, how do you invest in the places that you know you won't be there for a long time? And how do you be part of community? But I think those are questions that we can get into further down into discussion. But Sarah, I'm curious to hear about like your brief history on like hometowns uh, as it relates to your personal experience. Yeah, I I constantly think about this too because I was born in Manhattan but like lived for a bit in Queens. And so when on my tombstone when it says born New York, New York, it doesn't really capture my my identity as being very much not a Manhattanite. Um, and and then I lived part of my time in Long Island as well and before I moved back to Queens and so for me it's I, I talk about myself as being from Queens, but a large part of my identity was also from Long Island. And it's, I, I, it's something I don't attach myself to, similarly, Gloria. And then like talking about like where I went to high school to, with, where, where I went to high school and like so many other places of geography. And I've been thinking about this about like when I move on from Baltimore to a new place, like will I say like, how will I describe myself as from Queens consistently, but by, by way of Baltimore, like what is, what is a hometown? And I think moving to Baltimore in a place, a city that is very, has lots of histories of families that stay. Um, lots of families that stay in Baltimore, um, and have lived in Baltimore for many, many generations. I think, um, it made me, I, I consistently think about what it means to belong and what it means to be an outsider um, in both senses of like, both in Queens and in Baltimore. And yeah, another topic I've been thinking a lot about is gentrification and about the affordability of a hometown. Um, mostly because I, uh, yeah, a, a topic that I get incensed about, which, you know, is kindly suggested that we could do a whole episode on topics that get Sarah riled up. One of the topics that gets me really riled up is Amazon. And Amazon once tried to uh, like move their or bid for a headquarters in um, Long Island City in Queens. And I was furious about it and thinking about gentrification and about um, how it affects so many folks who live in that area and like in Queens and how they would it would drive out so many people who've been living there for many many years who wouldn't be able to afford it when you know software engineers from Seattle started to parachute in so I guess long story short it seems that like we all have very different connections to where we live and how we let it or do not let it define us and I think that that is kind of a universal struggle about how we let our environment and the people around us and the town around us shape who we are and who we are not um yeah I think oh my god this so that is 
that's as uh what is it like the lit major will say that's rich text to pull from uh which is like i have so many questions uh the first one i wanted to start with i know i'm curious about like i know being born in manhattan and then maybe like moving very soon after like i see why that doesn't get to be like a permanent part of your um like hometown or like spatial I guess geographical history so my question is what is it about when using Long Island and Queens as an example which are places you spend probably like a good amount of time what how why do you pick what influences what do you think makes you think you're like you find yourself like leaning them just like oh I'm from Queens like not I'm from Long Island like how do we I want to understand more why we pick certain places over others even though the data would suggest that like oh you probably most likely have like similar amount of connections to both places sorry that was a very long-winded question but you know (laughs) no it's a question I've really been asking myself in terms of like how do I describe my hometown to folks um and i i say queens a lot because it's a place that to me holds a lot of or like where i felt the most at home in terms of being able to walk around and feel like i belonged um in like a very very large korean american community in queens in flushing and bayside where i felt like you know i could blend in <laughs> and not feel yeah just which you know where I grew up in Long Island also had a sizable Korean American and Asian American community I think it's to a different degree I mean Queens is the place where you say that there are you know hundreds and hundreds of languages that are spoken in Queens and it's one of the most diverse places in the United States and like I I love that about it because it makes me feel like I am the majority Um, And it's one of the few places that make me feel like white people are the minority and it makes me happy um, to be in those spaces because we need to conserve our energies and like conserve our culture. So, yeah. That's beautiful. Um, I feel like part of my like uh, my my hometown that I would consider more hometown by you know experience by like the definition of hometown whatever that may be um I felt the exact opposite of that which is one of the reasons why I'm like okay fine it is my hometown but like I don't claim you like you know um it was very very rural very white very just just it's it was a weird place to grow rural America period is a weird place to grow up um But I often think about like my other hometown in California, which is like quite diverse to my knowledge. There's a large like Latinx population, obviously, um, and a significant white population. I I don't know what the um, black community looks like there um, or any. I don't know if there's like much. I don't know what the Asian rep- representation there is. I don't really know any of that, but I do know that at the very least there is a significant portion of Latinx folks. And sometimes I think about that and I'm like, well, you know, what would that have been like if I had gone to school there and like that feeling of belonging or not? I don't really know, but it's always something like when I hear you talk about Queens, like I can feel the like, like you, you're so into Queens and like you get happy when you talk about Queens. It's really lovely. She to really see. is into Queens. Yeah, <laughs> she's really into Queens. It's because of the food, y'all. It's the <laughs> food. This is why you all will love Queens is wherever you go, there's going to be the best food cooked by someone's grandma in the back of a kitchen that you just know is going to knock your mm. socks off, which is such a stupid <laughs> saying, but food. it's so I, good. That is Ugh. not a stupid thing. That's not stupid food literally all. just brings me here. I would do many dirty oh. things for food. <laughs> yes, we've been watching you eat that meatball sub. <laughs> oh, and that corn on the cob. We've got yeah, that's corn, corn on the cob. On the cob. It's, yeah, guys, a it's a tonight. buffet. It's like a four-cross meal throughout this. But I, I wanted to offer, and I strongly relate to all the points that have been brought up, but I guess I wanted to offer a different uh, like perspective on like choosing certain places because arguably, I mean, I, I spent a good amount of time in East Africa, so I wasn't really worried about not being part of the minority racially, <laughs> but I still think that 
it, like once that part is solved then right like once it's in america that's definitely like at the forefront of my mind but once i'm in spaces where i am part of the minority registry where i'm not worried about like somebody heckling me down the like no anyone's going to be thrown my way because it was just be very weird <laughs> but one makes me relate to this hometown other than the other. And I think that some of the places that I've lived, even when I've been in the majority, haven't felt that way because there was like additional cultural layers. It was more of mm-hmm. like I'm learning to see what I value in a community and whether that's like what I really would learn to value in the community is actually people like difference or like, well, to a certain degree, difference to a certain degree, yes. I will say. <laughs> not like KKK difference, but like... Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Effing not. Yeah. So, but it was like the cultural experience of like what we value, like having a sense of like shared values or like a sense of like shared experiences or like shared goals. And I think that's changed over the course of my life. And I wonder if that's like made me renegotiate like some of my relationship with like prior places that I've lived in. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's such an interesting way of bringing us to our next milestone (laughs) on this journey, which is about nationality, which I think is really fascinating and thinking about hometown. And I say this because, you know, it's something which, sorry to talk about work, but something I've been thinking about at work, um, for example, <laughs> um, is the artist Elizabeth Catlett, who was born in the United States, but moved to Mexico and lived in Mexico for a majority of her life as a Mexican citizen because she was exiled from the United States at, like because of McCarthyism and was only allowed back or was only invited back as a U.S. citizen in the later years of her life after. And she wasn't allowed to go back to her like um, major retrospective at the Studio Museum in Harlem for, like, it was because, like, she was not, she had to get, like, a special, like, um, like application and all of this stuff where, like, she was rejected as a U.S. citizen for so many years, but only was invited back, like, I think in, like, 2001, very late in her life. And so to me, I think about like, how do I describe her experience in a museum label, what, which is 125 words? How do I explain how her experience as a black woman in the United States who was then exiled to Mexico where she found herself feeling much more belonging, but then still carrying that identity and carrying the torch for social justice for the United States in her the art that she created in Mexico? How do I, how do, I do that and talk about that? And that's why... It's it's so hard to capture all of our identities in a hometown. Um, and like the concept of citizenship is so I mean, like it's so like vague and stupid because if and, and we can, you know, we can also talk about like um, undocumented immigrants and about how like you might have been born in a different country, but like you spend the majority of your life in, a, in like the United States, for example, and that is what you see yourself as and like but you were tied to your hometown in ways you didn't think you would be, right? So there are two different polar ends of hometown that we're thinking about here. I don't have an answer, but I wanted to add a complication or another thread of like, in addition to those who are born there, I like to think of like then children of parents who have different nationalities uh-huh. and like what claim do they get to have to that nationality because i had oh, a yeah. recent very heated discussion about the olympics about like should you by virtue of having like your parent is i don't know korean and your other parent is i don't know i don't know spanish but you were raised in the united states like like is it like it's okay. I guess in my opinion, it's okay to go and claim any part of that heritage that like speaks to you. But I've also seen the opinion of just like, oh, they never lived there. And like you get that in instances where like, I guess to use the athlete experience where like some countries would just like find anyone who they can give a citizenship to. And that's something. And uh, but I'm still always like, but yes, but they are entitled to that. I don't know. Sorry, that was an ad- the addition layer <laughs> of like, what about those uh, who are like once removed or twice removed? I don't know how to math. I am once removed. I am Same. so part of that, right? Like, <laughs> I, but like, I'm both, I'm a dual citizen and I'm one of the, like, it's not 
common to see dual citizens of Korea and the United States. And it's only because my parents were Korean citizens when they gave birth when my mom gave birth to me my <laughs> in <laughs> the United States. Famously father's <laughs> And they I mean my mom still is a Korean citizen and so like I have, you know, claim over my Korean heritage and they recorded me in like the the heritage, like the books, right? And the tree family tree. And you know, there are very few people who can claim both heritages or like sorry, not heritages. So many people can claim both heritages. Very few people can claim both citizenships, and it's, and I've never lived in Korea, so it's it is an odd thing when yeah, especially when people immigrate to the United States and then have to give up their citizenship. Yeah, that's mm, a whole other can of worms. Sorry, I'm just like thinking about all this, Gloria. You looked like you actually had something to say. I'm still marinating on these things. Um, looked. Like, correct. Yeah, you, <laughs> you, you leaned the six inches right into your mic and you were like... That, that is my, that's my thinking lean. <laughs> like, I have I to show you my I'm ready to discuss. Like, um, no, I'm... So I think that I'm... What is very interesting, it's... Um, even in the instance... First of all, I looked up Elizabeth Cutlet. Someone died when she was almost 100. And when you said that they only allowed her to come back in the 2000s, she was like in her 90s. So... Anyway, that's surprising, up. especially given that she was exiled due to McCarthyism, right? Mm-hmm. You said McCarthyism? The rise of McCarthyism type things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That should have truly been figured out much earlier than 2001, surely. Yeah, and yet they wouldn't let her back for her, like her, what is it? I think it was the 19th, I'm going to misremember the date of her like solo show. Well past McCarthyism, she was not allowed back to her studio or like wasn't able to come back without like um, a specific visa and like multiple permissions because she had been exiled from the country. Do you know what's crazy? It's that you do that. You exile past it, but you still want to have claim over their On their art. And like, or just like have like like you want to trade cultural capital on top of it but you want to make them do the jumping over the hoops that's all fucked up which was not my point typical exploitation though (laughs) very very united states of them but what that made me think is like i like the the identities that we choose or the spaces that we choose to claim over but for elizabeth like what it sounds like it's a place that didn't choose her but she was still like attached to like you still can't let it go and you're like yeah they don't like me very much over there but they've still like that's such a huge part of the experience that you can't just let it go so i'm now interested in the spaces or the um hometowns and the identities that choose us even though if you probably had the option you probably be like i like i'm disengaging with you and you and you like mm-hmm. just like unfollow 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 but like they've just been such a huge part of your experience that you can't let them go or you can't disentangle your being from them I had never considered this from the perspective of wall labels. It's really interesting, like, as, like, an approach. Because I, I had truly never, like, I've obviously, Sarah and I were in the art department together in college. And so I have seen and studied my fair share of wall labels. And it never occurred to me, the artist's hometown. Granted, there were very few artist hometowns for the wall labels that I was looking at, given that we mostly didn't, you know, there was only a few artists that we knew for ancient stuff. something I think about consistently about how do you define and then that brings up the question of how do you define nationality how do you define like what like another question I've been thinking about is like how would I define myself on a wall label I wouldn't know how to do that how would you define you how would you two define Mm -hmm. yourselves on a wall label for for a museum for the beautiful artworks that you create yeah um I think I I think I would feel obligated to put the town in upstate New York, even though that's not my place of birth. Um, It's the only town that I really remember. I moved there when I was four. So it's the only one that I like really remember growing up in. And I think that it adds in terms of art and what the 
I might, you know, art that I could produce, right? I feel like a lot of it would be influenced by the lack of belonging that I felt in that town and the exclusion. It, I think that it would be very descriptive, but from a place of like not fitting in and from a place of unhappiness and from a place of not engaging with that once I left. So like choosing to leave it behind me as soon as I had the agency to do so. Um, but part of me is also like, I think about that and I'm like, yeah, damn, that gives that dumpy ass town like a lot of, you know, a lot of, you know, space in my life. But unfortunately that feeling as a child of not fitting in, in your town I think that's really formative. Um, so yeah, I would, I would, I would use that one, but it would, and I think that it would bring that, it would have to bring those connotations specifically. Okay. This is going to sound, I've, it's going to sound, I don't know. You know what? The closest example is going to sound like Phoebe from friends or whoever you're like most like weird whimsical friend is. But, like, can I just say that, like, I'm a child of the earth? (laughs) Does that count? (laughs) Honestly, I feel like at the end of the day, after thinking about so many things of demographics and things like that, I just want to be a human. Let me be a human. Exactly. I'm just like, I just want to be a child of the earth. But, like, because, one, I think that I like that a lot. Obviously, like, if I had to, like, put down a name, I couldn't think of some things. But, like, none of them are enough to like encompass everything or even like the majority of what I think of like homes and spaces are to me because but when I say like oh I'm just like a person of this earth like there you go like one and there's like an immediate sense of like community that I think I feel towards like every other person that I share like this earth with but there's also a sense of hope that if this one part doesn't work out, like you can always find it in another place because intrinsically, mm-hmm. like you belong everywhere. It's just, you might not belong right now or like this, that and the other. So I like that as a way of like viewing moving forward, but I'm not very sure if museums would be super receptive of child of the earth. <laughs> I mean, I child feel... of earth. <laughs> Perhaps not. Um, I feel like it could be a way to like express art though right like wall labels can participate in the art um and they should be reflective of the artist and the artist's identity um that makes me think like what you just said gloria like if i were to define a hometown as i would like for a hometown to be um or that you know that feeling of community that i have found in the world amongst friends in certain you know places and countries um I don't know what I would put for hometown. You know? Hell, I might just put, like, you know, chosen family or something. I would just put friends. I would literally list people. Yeah. Because that's the feeling of the hearth for me, is, like, my friends and a select few family members. Yeah, and just, like, being able to share this space at this particular time with these people made made it home. Had it been another time with a different kind of people... That probably, that might not have worked, but, like, I think it has to do more with what's in the space that makes it home. Or, like, that makes for belonging. Sarah, what would yours look like? Sarah, what do you think about our very um, interpretive dance um, (laughs) approach to wall labels, which are quite structured? I kind of love it because I hate boxes of demographics. Um, it's, it's really hard to fit ourselves into these concepts, which we had no control over how they're being defined. Um, like it's just, yeah, I mean, like we didn't choose what nationalities, how nationalities are formed and how, you know, those stupid borders and, you know, the blurry boundaries of, yeah, all of that. And do we put too, that brings me to my next question of do we put too much emphasis on what a hometown is like when people ask you oh where are you from which you know when we for the three of us when that moves be- beside the racist connotations that it tends to have like 
<laughs> but when you're trying to get to know someone, you're like, oh, where are you from? Like, do we really need to know where they're from to know who they are? And sometimes we don't. But sometimes we do, and it depends on each person. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we do. <laughs> I like sometimes are you we from do. Westchester? <laughs> I, are that's you from- crazy. Like, I mean, it's true because like we just went on this whole thing of like they don't define us, blah blah blah. But I'm just like when I do hear where someone is from, I know it doesn't define the whole of them, but based on how I know that space to have impacted people or like that it that tends to like curate people. I kind of have an idea of what I'm going to get and that like trains my response which again does not make for like keeping a broad open mind because I'm just like give me all the data so I can just be as prepared as possible I feel like I often avoid answering that question directly um, as I've noticed a lot of my friends do um but I, I often try to answer it by what city I'm living in right now like where are you from oh I'm from DC um I'm not, you know, from from, but like I'm, you know, here in DC. It works best when you're not in the city that you're currently living in. <laughs> um, but I'll say upstate New York, um, usually. And oftentimes, though, I will throw in originally California because um, I do feel that tie. Like there is something there with that town. Um, but yeah, I don't. I never answer that question. I, I know you don't. <laughs> I, I refuse. <laughs> yes, you were who I was thinking of, but I didn't want to um, be explicit. I, maybe I should just be more upright. I'm just like, ask me a better question. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the great best thing impression. about... Yes, great first impression, which is don't ask where I'm from. And then the second thing is that my favorite thing about hanging out with so many of my friends is when people... When we meet new people and they ask us that question, I love to watch all of us... <laughs> create a dance around it because it just is so there's so much emotion pent up behind all of these Mm -hmm. and stupid ideas that are pent up behind it and yet at the same time as Gloria saying we still use it as a demographic to like a milestone really to like be like oh like Mm -hmm. you were saying some out-of-pocket things where are you really from (laughs) and then and then it confirms and it's this weird bias that we still hold but also, you know, it is important to know who is that question coming from? Because I think we can all agree that, you know, based on what someone looks like when they ask you, where are you from? And especially, you know, the context of the tone, the everything, we can all pick up on those particular undertones. At which point, you know, we get, I get real, oh. like you said, the dance around the question that makes people often, the, the person asking it often very uncomfortable. I hate it as a first question. Like, oh, it's an uh, awful first question. Oh, oh, like one of the first. If I'm getting to know someone and that's one of the first few questions that comes up. I Not for me. I was like, I was like, I don't know. I don't know about this. But I think that once I get to know someone, but I think it's interesting once they're like, okay. Mm-hmm. But at the same, I don't know. It's a very, it's very strange where I'm like, sometimes I really do want to know. But at the same time, just like, no, this is dumb information. Sorry to circle right back. Oh, I hate that term. But I, I, this just reminded me of um, something that I texted both of you about. Um, a recent experience that I had with an Uber driver that we got stuck on a highway, um, at, on the highway back from <laughs> my clay class. Um, and uh, because there was an accident and like he took that opportunity to really like ask me, he was like, you know, we were just talking about, oh, I hope everyone's okay, blah, blah, blah. And then he goes, so where are you from? And I was like, oh. Meanwhile, you're a captive audience, right? I'm a captive audience. It is 9.30 p.m. on a Sunday night. I am not trying, and it's dark as heck outside. I am not trying to get in any trouble. And I was just like, oh, you know, I'm from, I'm from New York. And they're like, really? You're from, you're from New York? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I grew up in New York City. And he was like, Oh, well, that explains why your first name is Sarah, because based on your last name, I thought that like you wouldn't you wouldn't have had that if you came from China. And I was like, okay, cool, cool, Mm. cool. Cool. Thank you so much. And then he missed my exit. And then I thought I was going to get murdered. But yeah, that was a scary. (laughs) We were we were getting updates on that in real time, weren't we? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, made it home. I was like, okay, good. yeah. Like, I, you know, know what's crazy? Ride chairs are insane. Every day, we all agree. We all agree that Yodamas is going to get into a ride with a stranger because some app has guaranteed that this is an okay person to ride with. Like when you were a child, your parents literally said, "Do not get into cars with strangers." Now it's a business getting into cars. <laughs> Also, though, I feel like those types of questions, I, I, I think there's a higher, like, I get those questions a lot in Uber or Lyft, um, more so than like in everyday world now, especially I think because of the circles that I run in are people are less prone to asking, you know, where are you from? No, where are you really from? No, I mean, originally, um, or like your English is really good. Well, Yeah. <laughs> that's my least favorite thing i oh, hate Jesus that one Christ. like well yeah i know it's my first language it's the only one i speak fluently hey what's up um but yeah ride shares it's always it's and it's so uncomfortable because you are that captive audience and you don't want to do anything that's you know make it could make you feel even more uncomfortable or more unsafe I think we should just teach people to ask better questions because oh. in my experience, sometimes the actually at least my experience of Uber drivers or like Lyft drivers or just whatever yeah. rideshare drivers, it's always been like the kind of like oh you're in this awkward moment and they like let's make chat and this is the thing that they do. So I think we just need to teach society how to ask better questions. Yeah, of of strangers, because like you also like meet in this context. It's not like you're like a work party. You're like, oh, who do you work for? Like, yeah. you know, there's no way to know each other. I think we need better questions. I still hate that question, but we need better questions. Also, complicating factor for rideshare apps, people asking drivers asking these questions, right? Is the majority of rideshare drivers are people of color, and it always throws me because I'm like. Why is this question being thrown at me right now? Gonna meet you? a comrade. Yeah. <laughs> Countryman. Yeah. I thought I was safe, <laughs> but no. It's it's another immigrant asking me, a child of immigrants, where I'm from in a way that makes me I feel like this is tying it all back together. It's like not there's nothing more like the question of where you're from to where are you from to like remind you that like belonging and are like our state of belonging is like conditional here in the United yeah. States. That's what it feels like. And there's nothing like that question to remind you that like you do, you're a guest and people view you as a guest. I don't yeah. sometimes, I some, I think of myself as not a guest at times, but like there's nothing like that question to remind you that other people view you as a guest in this country, that you are not the norm. It's all, oh, it's well, definitely, it's note. defining from a, point of exclusivity it's like whiteness right like whiteness is inherently exclusive um okay on that i <laughs> literally have nothing else to add other than say we're going to take a break and come back with our final section <laughs> but this was uh, some serious good chat that was All really right. fun. Uh, we had so many questions. I have no answer. Yeah, I don't think I we know. gave any notice answers. How, notice how no one gave any answers. I mean, it's like, that's interesting. Here's another question that that brings me. It's such a dense topic because it's just, um, I, we all feel so strongly about it, right? You know, it feels mm -hmm. like, oh, it's something that all of us face either day, every day, whether or not we want to. Yeah. I always, uh, it's so I wish we talked about, sometimes the benefits of like where are you from yeah we talked about the negative negatives. i forgot i'm just like oh where like what are the trade-offs because sometimes i'm just like i want to know where you're from or like when i know because sometimes i've known where people are from and i swear to god i find myself treating them differently i think you should just edit this and back in but i i don't know it's very interesting of the Okay, for instance, I was at this Afrotech concert, and I was talking to this guy, and we were having, like, girl, when we were having such strong vibes, like, getting on so well. And then, uh, first of all, I was like, we'd known each other enough that it didn't feel weird, and at least from her reaction, it was not a weird question to ask. But I specifically asked her if she was from Kenya, because I could tell by that forehead. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> we joked about this, so this is actually <laughs> my information. And then I noticed that I was just like, yes, this is a countryman. Also, I'm not, well, I'm personally part Kenyan, so. But anyway, but that was a whole, I don't know. It was like sometimes like when those questions end up finding inclusion. you community, yeah. like, like lead me to finding community as opposed to, I'm just like, mm, it's like, I don't know, girl. I don't know if your guest bus is going to be able to clear the terminal <laughs> this line. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you like, want to be like. It's like in Coco, like one time I'll find out that somebody has forgotten my picture <laughs> and I won't be able to come back. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. No, you're right. Sometimes asking where are you from is a kind of like, oh, like, are we on the same page question? Yeah. Another another instance of uh, fun racism um was at work where recently there there was only two korean people two korean people who worked who work at the bma who 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 work at my place of employment and um uh they we recently hired a third one a third korean american and um i you know was really excited to introduce myself to her and like finally was able to do it like after a few weeks of, you know, not being able to see her in person. And she's like, oh, I'm so glad to finally meet you. I've been mistaken for you a few times already. <laughs> and, and like, and at a certain point, I was just like, I already knew that her last name made her Korean. And I like was checking to check the vibe to be like, we're Korean. We're talking about the same thing. And then from that point on, you know, we talked about our cat's names that are both in Korean and like all the fun things. But there was a moment in which it was like, Vibe check, and then, oh yes, mm -hmm. we become friends. We're at our final segment, which is brains, brawn, or beef. Sarah, brains, brawn, or beef? We're going to ask you to pick one. Um, brains is, uh, give us a recommendation. It can be anything from like a book to... Um, a phenomenon, a pair of jeans, whatever. Um, Braun is give us a flex um, on anything in your life that you would perhaps send to the group chat for, you know, praise me's. Um, and then beef is tell us who or what you are currently beefing with and please the pettier the better. Although we will allow you, because you are you, to pick two um, as long as one of them is a flex. That would be Braun. Oh boy. Um, thank you so much, Eos. Um, <laughs> well, well. <laughs> we love you. Uh, um, I have something to nitpick. Um, so my nitpick. What, what was the? It was brains, brawn, and beef. Beef. That sounds you know? like beef. It, it's beef. I've got lots of beef with this driver recently i was on my way home from i don't know where um i was driving back and baltimore has lots of bike lanes because we're a bike friendly city and you know i was trying to turn right to the correct street and for some reason this driver behind me decided that the biking lane and the parking spot area was his personal lane and he was going to go straight when I oh was in God. the correct lane to turn right and I look over at him and I have my signal on and I'm trying to turn right and he looks at me like I'm the craziest person alive. Truly like I am like do not understand traffic laws like I am the worst human and I was like so offended that he thought I was in the wrong when he clearly did not know or like I don't know maybe he knew that he was on the bike lane. Anyways, I was so shooketh by the look he gave me because it made like for a second I thought am I wrong and then I was like no I live here I know exactly what I'm doing I am correct and like every time I pass that spot when I drive by I can picture the <clears throat> excuse me the just like the bewildered look on his face that was like mixed with anger or like the, to say that the, like just like oh my god the audacity for this person to turn right in the lane that they're supposed to turn right in I see that face every single time I walk by that spot or drive by that spot because it pisses me off so much. Anyways. Baltimore drivers are the worst. DMV drivers. 
True. Yeah, but Baltimore, but Baltimore Maryland carries a torch. Yeah, they I do. Was, I was in the real bonds. And this woman, she asked me, I cannot believe this question. She goes, I think we we had we were talking about driving or something, and I was like, yeah, like I saw someone turn like left on red the other day. She goes, oh yeah, I do that all the time, honey. Oh, I just God. you know I try not to do it when I'm driving Uber because you know it freaks some people out. But you know if you're cool with it, I don't mind. I'll do like just let me know. And I was like, what? Like are we talking about the same thing? Like left on red, left? And she was like, yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was, yeah, I not was absolutely. Be- I was beyond confused. Oh boy, yeah. I don't understand. Yeah, every single time I've been on the highway, and the few times that I do go on the highway, <laughs> and somebody does something wicked, I check nine out of ten, it is a Maryland plate. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was like, okay. It's like, I know I don't like these streets, but they really like, they're like, oh, you should not come hang in these streets. So, it is, you know, I think in Maryland, like, signal, like, tur- like tur- signaling signal while you turn is are optional. Yeah, they're optional. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, so you're not legally required mm-hmm. to. That's why everybody sig- weaves in and out of traffic and you don't know what the hell people are about to do. I'm sorry, what? That, I believe so. That is, uh, that is true. And I have not fact-checked this, but nope. my partner has. And, and they are a walking encyclopedia because they're, they're the ones who've got me on this, like, Maryland drivers really do be out here. Oh my god, that explains so much of my experience. (laughs) Oh my god. I didn't know you didn't know that. No, I thought that we lived in a sane, sane state. I'm sorry, you've been living in Baltimore with those drivers and you thought everyone was sane? No, I just thought that people just broke the rules constantly. I didn't know that it was a rule that what didn't exist in the first place. I just thought people, you know, had an irreverence. To state-imposed sanctions on how we drive. I don't know. They just, they were guidelines. <laughs> there were guidelines. I thought they were suggestions. <laughs> yes, suggestions. Just like, like the way that a lot of them treat stop signs as suggestions. Mm-hmm. 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 All right, Listen, I love how petty we've been. That's brilliant. On that note, we're going to have to say goodbye. But Sarah... Thank you so much for this stimulating conversation. Stimulating. Stimulating (laughs) conversation on hometowns and what that may or may not mean and how much trauma is in that word. Oh, goodness. Yes, indeed. As you can tell. (laughs) Trauma. Broad trauma. Trauma. Well, thank you both for having me. It was an absolute delight always to talk to you both. I feel like we always go down the coolest and weirdest rabbit holes together. Wonderful rabbit holes. I'm going to save my question for next time. Why rabbit holes? What called rabbit holes? But like, I have so many questions. Um, anyway. All right, Sarah, it was absolutely a joy to have you. And listeners, thank you for listening to us yet again. We are as pleased as you are. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and we'll talk next time. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye. Yes. We are so...